Hello and welcome to Portrait of an Editor. I am Francis Lombard. In this podcast, Fabrice Sapolsky returns and we discuss what it takes to get an issue of Mutiny Magazine out, cover his productive relationship with Diamond, what he learned from Kickstarter campaigns, the importance of relationships in comics, and all the exciting things he has packed into issue two of Mutiny Magazine. A heads up, uh, the magazine drops this month. Retailers should start receiving it the week of 323. You can also purchase it directly from Fair Square Comics via their website. So let's jump right into my talk with Fabrice about Mutiny Magazine and a whole bunch of other things. Enjoy. Fabrice, welcome back to Portrait of an Editor. It's, uh, it's been a little while since yes, uh, we talked. Yes, thanks for having me. <laughs> Last time we talked was uh, you guys were just about, you're just beginning to put together Noir is the New Black. Correct. And uh, you guys put it together, assembled, launched the Kickstarter, seemed mm-hmm. to have a successful Kickstarter. Yeah. And the, now the book's available to everybody, right? You're Absolutely. You're, Diamond deal, you can get Noir's New yes. Black. So we're, we're actually going to celebrate the first anniversary of our Diamond deal in a month. So it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Now, um, are you, you submitted? I saw something recently. Uh, the Eisners are coming about. You guys are submitting stuff. Yes, uh, I did. Stories. I did submit for the uh, for the Eisners. I submitted in multiple categories. Um, mm-hmm. Noir's the New Black. I um, I pitched three of the 16 stories for best short story, but also Noir's New Black as a whole for best anthology. I have intertwined as best reprint material because, I mean, as people know, it, it had already been printed a few years back by Dynamite, but our, our edition is better. Mm-hmm. That's what I will just say. Uh, and so best reprint material for intertwined and best uh, magazine publication for Mutiny. Yeah. So, uh, and today, Mutiny is the thing I really want to talk about. Uh, Sure. As anybody who's listening to the podcast, that I like heavy metal is something I got into probably a couple of years ago, and just it reminded me about all the magazines. And then when Mutiny came out, I was like, you know, this reminds me of like when I was reading in the the 80s and 90s and just obsessed with comics about all the magazines that were there. And, you know, talking about the industry you know, doing interviews that, you know, ho- hopefully run, you know, run a little bit, have some meat to them and get in there and just sort of an attitude. Like I think Amazing Heroes was one I had read and, you know, that was one that was around for a long time. And I just, the con, and then Mutiny, of course, bonus is just playing with the genre, having, I mean, playing with the medium, having numerous different kinds of genre mm-hmm. short stories. So uh, if anybody wants, you know, complaining about what DC Marvel raising their prices really you should be buying mutiny because you get a lot of bang for your buck. That's one thing. Um, these you know, magazines like what heavy metals doing and what you are doing is just worth the price of admission right there. If you don't like this interview, you're going to like this interview or this sort of story commentary on the industry mm-hmm. or I mean, all the, all the, uh, comics that are there too, all the short stories that are there. Mm -hmm. So I guess let's just jump right at the first question I had. How do you pull it off? 
because my experience with anything that's like an anthology or magazine, there's a lot of work and looking at the credits, it seems to be like you're a one man show here. So what is your Um, day to day? (laughs) Well, I mean, Um, there's a lot more other people there. I mean, there is a lot of great deal contributors and, and stuff like that. I'm not saying, but, but keeping, keeping all the plates spinning, how do you do that in your day to day? Uh, it's a lot of work. I will not buy. It's a lot of work and my days are very long, like mm-hmm. 12 to 15 days, seven days a week. That's how much I work. It's like, I mean, um, I have experience. Like when I started in this business, I started with magazines. Yeah. So uh, press was my first love. Like I, I had an equal love of press and comics and, and for a very long time I used to buy dozens of magazines every week on top of the comics that was reading. And, and so in 1998, so that's a long time ago. Um, I created my first comic book magazine. It was called comic box. It was in France in my home country and, and comic box lasted for 17 years. And of those 17 years, I personally oversaw it for 13. I was the editor in chief for 13 years. So it's, it's not like something I don't know anything about. Like, and it's like riding a bike. I know how to make magazine. I know how to make magazines on the budget also, which never hurts. Um, and, uh, and it's just like when you know the routine, it's pretty easy to get back into these, this old sweater and say, all right, it still fits. Um, I can, it can work. Um, the difference here is that mutiny is a creator focused magazine. Uh, whereas comic box was a news magazine. Um, it was not a fan magazine. It was a news magazine about comics and mutiny is a creator centric creator focused magazine. That means that when we approach the thing, you were mentioning the industry, it's not so much about the industry. It's that you won't find any article on the next Marvel or why boom or dynamite or whoever is whatever they are. No, it's mains a creator focused magazines. We'll have the interviews, you will have the project, but it's, it's still very much around creators. And that was very important to me as a creator myself to talk to my peer and give them the chance to talk to everybody without a filter, without any, middle person uh to kind of like water down the message it really is an open dialogue and and the way i present um mutiny i always and i I have i was at a convention this past weekend and people were always asking the question what is mutiny and i tell them it's the switzerland of comics like it's it's a place it's a neutral place it's a safe heaven for careers. It's a safe heaven for fans, um, for collectors who want to have a curated experience of what comics are. There are hundreds of comics that are, uh, are released every week. Hundreds. How do you, how do you choose? How do you decide? And also, how do you discover new talent if you have no idea where to find them? Back in the day, there were talent management, talent development. It's not so much the case anymore because it's expensive because, you know, the companies have to be productive. They have, they have their own policy. Uh, mutiny is there for that too. It's a curation 
um, it's a creation tool. Uh-huh. And it allows us to not just promote the series that are produced by Fair Square Comics, but also give a chance to people in the same way our motto is comics from the rest of us at Fair Square Comics. Um, it kind of like broadens that message to everybody through mutiny. So mutiny for us is a vehicle to uh, expose more of um, of the independent creators, minorities, immigrants, our natural uh, lane. So, yeah. But we also give people what they want, which is access to the brand. Like in, in issue two that is going to be released in March, you have, uh, you have an, a big article on the story behind Electra. Uh, you have an article on bad girls. You have another article. Uh, I mean, uh, on uh, you have an article on MF Ghost, which is a uh, big um, manga series. So there's something for everybody, and it it, it it's like a uh, I don't know a box of chocolate. I, I don't know how you would a, in, in French we would say a pot pourri. Yeah, uh, which is like a, a, a mix uh, of, of, of of different things. <laughs> With a lot of great taste. Where would the the article I was just reading uh, for issue one regarding Batman? You know, the, like what DC's doing with Batman. Where would you think that? Where does that fit in? You know, why is that in that magazine? Then the question. So, so it's a very good question. So, the, this article actually came about at the tail end of the production of Mutiny Number One, mm-hmm. and uh, me and uh, and Lilia. Who, who was our intern at the time and who wrote this article, uh, we, we were looking at it and we were like, every month there's a new Batman or two new Batman or three new Batman. And so the question like, how much Batman is too much Batman? Um, do retailers have Batman ache? And it was more like, because again, I was talking about being creator-centric, but we never want to forget retailers. So we went to retailers. Yeah. We went to retailers to ask them what they thought about it. And then we added journalists in the mix, um, which we thought was interesting uh, to get these voices also in mutant. And, and again, even though it's 99% creator focused, having a little window to talk about our friends, retailers, who we need without retailers, we can't get mutiny on shelves. So we need retailers. And we also need to tell them that we love them too. So that's, that's why. And, you know, it's something that a question now, you know, Mutiny 1 came out, how many months ago was it? A while back. November. Like, November. It was late November. Yeah. yeah. That's a question now that people are asking. I mean, I don't know if you guys started the conversation, but people have been asking, Maybe. like, what is going, you know, I mean, it must be working for DC. You know, they see their numbers. And the question of how much is too much Batman? as you guys talk about in the article was asked in the eighties, it was asked in the nineties. Now it's being asked again. I thought I'd be reading Batman my entire life. I don't really read him other than sort of these one-off series that pop up nowadays because I just, I don't have the time. There's other things to read really, but um, it's just a question. Now a lot of people are vocalizing. I've heard, you know, I hear from other, you know, just fans and seeing on comics, Twitter. The thing that people have to, people have to realize a couple of things. One, the reason why these companies are doing all the, I mean, 
Marvel is doing the same with Spider-Man. Yeah. You have yeah. Spider-Man everywhere. At one yeah. point it was Wolverine. You had Wolverine everywhere. The Punisher um, was before, you know. The, exactly. <laughs> and it's it, it cycles. It works in cycles. And Superman mm-hmm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It was like it, 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 when they had like four or five different series. Uh, one every week. And you mm-hmm. had the, the the bullet to to go through all of them, if you remember that. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, so it, it was... It, those companies are doing that because they're IP-focused. I it, this, here's another thing that I that I say often is that as an independent comic book publisher, Marvel, DC, and all the um, company-owned um, comics company, um, they are in a business that is not our business. Their business is to perpetuate and develop their IPs, their brands. Our business is to allow creators to tell their stories and to put them on the market. Uh, it's a very different business. There's not, not one better than the other. Both are legit and have their totally their place on the market, but it's just different. It's apples and oranges. We may share the same medium called comic books, uh-huh. but at the end of the day, we have a different strategy and it has to, it has to be said somewhere. Another another way of saying it is having a, a magazine like Mutiny, where it, we kind of trump that. Um, Mutiny is a beautiful Trojan horse. Like it, you probably have noticed that when we're doing covers, we're asking big name artists to draw covers, original covers for us. But not only that, but we sometimes use the brands. Like in issue zero, we had a Spawn cover from Greg Capullo. We had a J. Scott Campbell cover. We have um, we have in issue one we have a, a cover by Derek Robertson on the boys. Um, these are brands. It's not so much in issue two. In issue two, we tried something a little different. Uh, you'll see, but um, but these brands are known. They're known. They're, they're known more than we are. So having those brands uncovered our magazine raises the awareness around mutiny, but also around all the independent creators inside the magazine. So if you're a fan and you have no idea what who we are, what our mission is, and what mutiny is, but you know the boys and you like the cover, you will buy the cover, and then you open the magazine and oh. Not only you have an interview with Garth Ennis, another one with Derek Robertson on top of his cover, but you also have many stories and articles about people you never heard about that you might enjoy. Yeah, and like it's a way of it, it's a way of creating a virtuous cycle within our industry of of putting the spotlight where it should be, which is on creators. Like creators shouldn't be at the bottom of the food chain. Creators should be at the center or on top of the food chain. But how do you do that? You need tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, with issue one for me, uh, reading this Stephanie Phillips, who I've been seeing, and I know she's doing stuff, I think, for Heavy Metal and some other, you know, and mm-hmm. writing Wonder Woman too. I've seen her name popping up in that corner, but <clears throat> didn't even realize like her first big, one of her first big comics was the independent uh, Kicking Ice. In your introduction in Mutiny Zero, you talk about in Comic Box, especially American creators, because that's what Comic Box really focused on, felt a little more free to be able to express themselves. 
That's so true. did that begin to sort of, this is now taking that realization that you had created sort of a safe zone for people to really talk about mutinies, sort of you fine tuning, you know, that, that area of, you know, of welcoming and being a freedom of being able to feel that you can express yourself and talk about what you're doing. Well, I don't know if it comes that much into play because when comic box was around, uh, there was no social media. Mm-hmm. There was no the, um, internet was like really starting. I mean, it started in the nineties, but like not everyone was online shopping. Uh, not everyone was, it was a very different behavior. Um, and, and comic books was a, uh, a, a magazine that you could find in newsstands. So it was a very different thing. It was also a very different country. Um, and speaking of which, um, the news broke yesterday that comic books is actually going to be back on the French market. So, uh, people have started asking me, so, okay, so if comic books is back, what does it mean for you? Uh, and well, it's just that the two are going to coexist. I mean, comic box is on the French market and it's going to stay on the French market and mutiny is on the American market. It's going to stay on the American market. And we're going to share a little bit of our DNA. Um, some articles may travel one way or the other. Some interviews might work on the one day or the other, but these are, uh, not similar magazines. Again, uh, well, comic are box. In, are you involved in, in comic box? Isn't the new um, uh, I'm, version? let's say, let's say that I'm a, like kind of a moral authority because I created it. Yeah, so, um, okay. so I'm involved as in like, I'm part of the conversations, but I have zero time to, to be involved more than that. And, and they have such a capable team over there that I don't need to be involved. Um, I know that we have, we had conversations about sharing, uh, interviews, sharing, uh, articles, um, we, which we do like already because like some of the articles that you saw in mutiny zero and one and two, you will see in two were, uh, actually repurposed from previous editions of comic box. So mm-hmm. some of them come from there and they were translated into English for the first time. Um, but that, that's, that's one of the keys, how you create a magazine from scratch in no time, you use content that already existed and you just rework it, retool it, uh, and translate it so that, and update it in, in many ways so that it's, um, suitable and available for the American market. So, uh, that, that helped a lot. Um, so both will continue to, to exist, um, in their own, with their own flavor. Um, but comic box, comic box, for example, has very little comics in it. and, and mutiny has up to 50 pages of original, uh, comics from independent creators. So it's a completely different philosophy here. And now the other thing regarding a conversation about DC pushing Batman, also pushing Superman back in the nineties and stuff and the ability to find new creators and everything. And what the difference in the industry is that basically, and I think, you know, growing up reading comics in the eighties and nineties, I definitely got into following creators. You know, I would follow them and stuff. Their names would, and I know like the story of like John Byrne would add 50,000, you know, yeah, you know, the fans. Byrne 50. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know if they've gotten away from that. I mean, I don't know if the, I mean, there's some of it and you know, the, the big you know numbers, but you've had, as you were talking, I think in your introduction, 
in Mutiny 1 about Substack and the migration to Substack yeah. and mm-hmm. the migration to Image that occurred a few years back. Um, you know, you're never going to see Ed Brubaker write probably, well, I guess he's writing Batman in animation, but is he ever going to write a Batman comic? Never say never, but he won't be doing it for any length of time compared to what he was producing 10 years ago. You've had this migration away of like big names on um, the big twos comics. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I think there's, I mean, people, I think become big names when they end up on one of the big twos comics, but is it different? I mean, as you were saying, because is the industry, it is different enough that you need something like mutiny to be able to, you know, make somebody a big name, you know, and make a creator have people find a creator instead of, I'm wondering if my question is even working right now. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I think, I think I understand. So let me give you my take on. Yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of things here that I want to throw in the mix because I think it's important. When I created Fair Square Comics, the base was not a theme or a genre in particular or anything like that. The base is ownership. (laughs) And we devised a color-coded system that we are pushing with three different colors, fair square green, fair square purple, and fair square blue. These three colors define the relationship between the publisher, us, and the talent. In fair square green, the IPs are owned either by me or by Fair Square Comics, which is not the same because Fair Square Comics is a family-owned company. It's just me, my partner, and my son. Uh, but uh, but it's still like it's still an entity. Uh, you have Fair Square Purple, which offers full creator-owned books from our friends that we welcome to our our um, our publishing company as partners. Um, it's kind of like a, an image type of deal, but there are differences as in we offer marketing services and we offer publicity services. So we're actually going to help creators make the book successful, mm-hmm. even though we don't have the market share of image. We don't have the experience of image and we don't have the size of image yet, but we have, we're putting everything in motion to become a great partner for the creators that are with us. And you have Fair Square Blue, where you have Mutiny, and you have titles that we're sourcing from third-party publishers and that we import into the United States. Um, so um, it, it's, it's the ownership defined us. It's really what mattered to me the most because again, and it, and it, it's a personal story. It takes me back to my Marvel days when I was doing Spider-Man Noir. And like a lot of people are shocked that, um, I'm not credited in the Spider-Verse movie. I don't get any residuals from it. Um, and the little that I get, I get from the sales of North American comics which are often uh, sold out and not reprinted. Uh-huh. So um, you can't really count 
on the big companies to take care of you. It's not their mission. Their mission is to do their business, develop their IPs, perpetuating them, and please their shareholders. There's nothing wrong with that. When you get into when you get in bed with Marvel or DC, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. And if you don't, you have to learn how to read your contract. Uh, so there's no, you cannot have a moral approach to it. This system has been around for as long as comics have been around and it, and it, it will continue to be around and that's it. That's okay. Now that's not how I approach things anymore. Like, because Spider-Man Noir is just nine issues of my life. I'm not ruling out the possibility of, of going back to a studio one day. If they call, but they have never called back and they are not interested. So they don't, ha- they don't get to decide if I stay in comics or not. And I think that for the other creator is the same. We decide if we want to stay in comics. It's a personal decision. And creating my own company was that, was going there and say, okay, what I'm going to do for myself, I'm going to do for others. You know, it's like, it, it's the golden rule. Treat others like you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you've talked about it in mutiny. Um, yes. About how you can't make a living in comics. And we've talked about it. I've talked about it with number, numerous editors mm-hmm. about the money that is out there. The money oh, that's no money. Into- <laughs> well, it's a billion dollar industry now when it compared to, it was like, you know, but I mean, everybody's doing it for the love of it, but you know, you can't retire on that. And I know you're trying yes. to, you're trying to make something change, but you're working 12 to 15 hours a day mm-hmm. and you would like to be able to take a break at some point just to recharge and state, maintain your creativity and your ability to produce quality work. It's just, it, you, I, you have a solution. You're presenting a solution. You've actually, you know, so you've really thought about this. I did. How will it, I mean, do you feel it might be I the have. beginning of a change? I mean, it has to change. It has to change to keep new people coming. And we're all talking about, you need new talent, but if talent goes, well, I can't even feed myself and my children. I'm going to go to something else. I, you know, to say that, oh, this has already been, this has been going on. This is how it's been for a while. I mean, even the, the, you know, image getting unionized. I mean, there seems to be mm-hmm. people trying to come up with a new system, you know, has your system now that you've had a, a little while to work it, do you feel there's hope? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I feel there's hope, but look, the problem here is that the market is very, a lot of people are, are talking about the nineties. The market is very different from the night. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it, it's, it's different because there are less retailers. The book market is way more welcoming for, for graphic novels. And honestly, like if I look at what's been happening at fair square comics itself, um, we do better on the book market than we do on the direct market, but I don't want to give up on the direct market. That's why we're doing mutiny. That's why we're launching a new title a new collection, I must say, in May called Classified that will be a deluxe type of um, of uh, uh, short graphic novels, like under 64 pages, under, uh, like under, under 100 pages, sorry, 
Um, and we start with a, a book by Ibrahim Mustafa called uh, Jaeger uh, that will be released May 18th, but that will be a direct market exclusive. But it's a huge risk with the competition that there is on the direct market. The same way it's a huge risk. It was a huge risk to launch Mutiny. I mean, we did the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter did well. We did over $20,000, but we had no guarantee that the, the people from Kickstarter will move to the stores mm-hmm. and the, the retailers would welcome us with open arms, which they did not. We have to fight tooth and nails to earn their respect, to earn their trust. And that's fine. We, because it's how it works. You need to create a relationship. You don't be like people forget that as image com, as revolutionary as image comics was. Those names were already known for years. Yes. They had proven themselves. Like people knew that Jim Lee could sell X-Men. People knew that Todd McFarlane could sell Spider-Man, that Rob Liefeld could sell New Mutants and so on and so forth. So they knew that these people had a potential attached to it. But do they know anything about Fabrice Sapolsky? No, they don't care. So my job is to have them not just care about me, but care about the people that are even smaller than I am. And how do we make them care? By producing quality content, by, by being consistent, by being there, by keeping an open channel to talk with them. By ch- that's how you change the rules. That You change the rules by being close to your market, by being active, by doing the work. And, and I think that's what we're doing here. Um, and that's the difference. You know, um, I was looking at the, the numbers for, um, for mutiny number two that, that is at the printer right now. Uh-huh. Um, the attrition is 1% from issue one. Oh, that's great. Where do you see that? <laughs> this is fantastic. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's already a victory for me. Uh-huh. I won. I won because that means that what we put in place for issue two, is as appealing as what we put in place for issue one. And so now the, the goal is not just to stabilize stales, but conquer new heights, go in places where people, there will always be retailers who say, and some are like it, telling it to my face, like, oh, I'm not taking magazines because it doesn't fit the fixtures. Uh, that's what happened to me when I tried to order number one, they like, Oh, but I said to them, like, look, I respect your store and I respect your fixtures and how you lay out your store. And okay, it's fine by me. But if you put it at the counter, you will sell it in no time. Oh yeah. But we don't have the space. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's like going on a date and you say, Oh, I have no time for dating. Well, you make time for the things you like or you want. So you can make space for mutant if you like it, but you have to give it a chance. And, um, and so I'm, I'm happy with how the magazine is developing right now. Um, sure. I would be even happier with bigger sales, but this is a very tough market with a lot of competition. And look, now the competition is like, it, it comes from everywhere. It hasn't been lost on you that webtoons, tapas are a thing. And they have now a publishing arm. 
that means that you will have soon floods of new material coming from these players that are going to come to print because digital is extremely challenging. Just a little side note, Fair Square Comics doesn't do digital. I refuse. I refuse not because I'm against it. I refuse because no digital company has been able to offer me a deal that puts the creators at the center of the equation. It's always tech first. And it's great. It's just not good for my business. Why would I agree to devaluate a product of creators' minds? Why would we want to sell? It's not a pr- art and comics is art. Um, art is not a product like others. Yeah. It's not a simple merchandise. It's a creation. It's a product of the mind. It's a product of the heart. It has a special relationship to people. Like books. We, we are in the family of books. So we should like have a little consideration for ourselves. Maybe it's the European in me talking. Uh, but uh, but well, yeah, it's important. Comixology is doing it too. And all these others have an arm. You know, they signed the Comixology signed the deal with Dark Horse. They all have a publishing arm to get stuff to make these available as printed material. You, you because, it, because it's the only way to make money. Let's, be, like, let's face it. There's no yeah. money in digital. Yeah. They've, they've come some kind of realization because they're doing it somewhere because they feel they're going to make money somehow. You know, you know, it, it there's something there, you know, where and, the other Substack, way is not really Sub, working. Substack's Substack doing is a it very, too. It's yeah. a very good example, but it's very different because Substack uses data as currency. Um, so it, 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 it's a completely different, uh, model. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad for all my friends who have taken this deal mm-hmm. with Substack, but it's also a lot of work. And even though they get an advance and all it's, it's, it's a, let's look at Substack in two or three years and we'll see. Like, yeah. And, and that's the thing is the element of Substack also left that element of print open. Um, it sounds like, you know, you can, we're going to give you with our grant. Hopefully you'll have the money, but the deal, the aspect of printing and going to a print publisher has been left open for the creators to make the decision on where they want to go or, you know, get the books there. So you can get the books, you know, uh, digitally, but the creators have that option. So there must be a reason why. You know, once again, the money, maybe they, you know, keep that carrot out there for the creators because there's money to be made in print eventually, you know, for them, if they don't make it in Substack. I feel that it's, we're kind of like in the wild west of publishing right now, um, because you have creators who have a publishing company, but don't use the classic distribution model. They're doing Kickstarters, they're creating their fan base. And they're just caring to this fan base and they're growing organically from there. Like five, 10, 20, like look at what Pat Chan is doing, what Russell Nohelty is doing. These guys are like, they created like really solid, uh, companies and, 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 uh, uh, 
libraries of books that they created or they co-created and um and they don't have to go through the old model i chose to go with the old model because i'm old and i'm traditional <laughs> maybe i don't know but i chose to go through the old model because uh because of mutiny when we started recruiting our partner for distribution and at the time there was only noir's the new black and one hit wonder uh the question was and i interviewed several distributors and i chose diamond because diamond knew how to distribute magazines <laughs> and um that was a huge factor in choosing diamond um yes simon and schuster is bigger yes uh penguin at random house is bigger or like ipg or like there were several uh uh several uh possibilities but at the end of the day the relationship that i've built with diamond is great like i always say that like i was the first one to shit on diamond for years but since we signed our contract and i've worked with them on a daily basis i am their dude i'm their poster boy so i can yeah i totally switched because they're taking care of me what is it about them that you feel uh makes them better at handling magazines because you were First, talking about getting into retailers and having issues like oh it doesn't fit in our store but you know i mean what is it about it the i think the main misconception about diamond is to think that it's one company it's actually a multitude of companies uh diamond books is not diamond comics they work together it's the same group but these are two different entities so when you, you when you speak to the book team you have they have a certain strength and uh when you spoke to the comics comics team they, when you speak to the comics team they have other strength both have issues and both have strengths but every distributor is like that and it's a matter of relationships it's a matter of connection it's a matter of building it what we've been able to accomplish in such an, a, a ridiculously short amount of time to me is already amazing like we published our first official book in stores in September 2021 and we're now we're having this conversation in February 2022 we have four graphic novels on stands and soon three issues of a magazine this is huge for for a very small company with no like funding it's just me so i'm extremely grateful that we have a partner that allows me to still be in business to this day and to keep growing so another partner you would have would be your fan base and you've talked about yes. the work you've done um your approach to engaging with creators and mm -hmm. you know making a place the work you know of engaging with retailers to get the word out about what you're publishing about mutiny and everything and then you have creators who are supportive of you who are probably vocal of what you know the access you're giving them and also the support and get you know announcing what they got coming out they're going to do the hard the the leg work to get that out you know through your kickstarter you probably have a good sense of who's supporting you of how to 
make them, I guess, a little more rabid, how they can go to a retailer and go, can you get my book? You know, can you get this book? Come in. I, I will buy it. You know, I'm giving you money up front or whatever of like, what is, you know, a mar- you know, you know, the Marvel has their zombies, DC has their loyalists, et cetera. But, you know, what about, how do you see the fan base that you've been establishing and what they could do to help get the word out? I'm not there yet. Um, let's say that for such a young company, the fact that the books are out and the message is understood is already a success. It's a marker of success. Um, remember that, um, again, we've only published a handful of books and a few issues of a magazine, um, in a very competitive market. Um, we have production values that are a little different than the competition because I'm like that. I like my books to look good. So I put a lot more money on it. I print everything in North America especially in the U.S. because I want a smaller carbon footprint and I want to keep the jobs here, uh, which is also important to me. Again, I'm, as I said, I'm an immigrant and it's important to me to keep it here. Um, and all that has a cost. Our books cost more than competition because all that, all those factors, but also because we want to give as much money as we can to the creators and to the retailers. Like I often say to retailers that are reluctant to pick up mutiny, that the issue of mutiny is $15. Um, they will roughly get 40, 45% of that price uh, for themselves. And it's two issues of Batman or three issues of Suicide Squad or what, how many issues of Moon Knight. I don't know. You know, but it's like with one issue of mutiny. And and so it's money in their pocket that is not hard to get because they will probably buy between two and five copies of each cover or even as a whole. Um it's 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 an easy sell. Mutiny is an easy sell. And I can see that at shows, like people stop and ask what is mutiny there's a factor where people react very positively to the project that we're doing, the projects that we're doing, not just mutiny, but like noise and black intertwine everything. These are showstoppers. And I know that the, the retailers that agree to come on board with us and, and, and partner with us on these products, they will not be disappointed. They will sell them. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. They sell, they, they're happy, they make money, they reorder, we're happy, and we create a virtual cycle. It's a question of respect. It's a question of, they're not there. I'm, I, I mean, mutiny is a love letter to retailers, but it's also a love letter to the media. And, um, and that's why it's so important to, one, keep it around, and, and two, allow it to grow. We're growing with them. They're growing with us. And, and it's how we do it. It's quid pro quo. Um, and, uh, um, and I don't understand what the question was, but I don't know if I answered I was, correctly. 
it was just talking about the fan base. That's another element yeah, that you the, have. So the fan, ba- the fan success. base. Uh, yeah. Kickstarter is a very interesting beast um, because technically you're supposed to learn from each campaign and grow from one campaign to another campaign. But there's a limitation to that. If you stay in the same lane, the same segment of audience, you will do that. Like we're doing Noirs the New Black, we can sell uh, Mutiny to Noirs the New Black because a portion of the audience may be interested in both. But then we did Lady Bird, <laughs> Lady Bird, which is an a YA title. Um, and it was the weakest campaign we've ever had. Why? Because the people from Noir is the New Black, the people from Mutiny were not that audience. So you have to restart from scratch and rebuild it. And then the next Lady Bird or the next thing that will be in that audience, we can grow from Lady Bird. The same way we grew um, from... One Hit Wonder, to Noise and New Black, to Mutiny. Yeah. Because it's the same kind of audience. Um, so it's, uh, it's very interesting. Um, and, and Kickstarter is a valuable partner. It is a very important partner. But at the same time, the more, the more you get into their system, the less you understand it. Because you don't have access to any metrics. Like you, you, you launch a campaign, you do as much promotion as you can, but 60 to 80% of the backers come from the Kickstarter ecosystem itself. And on that, you have no information. You don't know who they are. You don't know what their behavior is. You don't know any data about them. Kickstarter has the keys to their kingdom. And so you're kind of like in the dark. And you have to learn from experience. And of course, they have some tips that help you. But still, there's a, a large portion of what you're doing that is a mystery. Um, that's not saying that I'm going to stop doing Kickstarters. No, we have a Kickstarter in April. We will have another Kickstarter in summer. But it's, it's fascinating. You don't get it's to fascinating. Know, you don't get to know your audience, your fan base, as well as you, you, mean, you would like basically with Kickstarter, especially if you're, because you want, you know, if it, you're very comics are, genres. Yeah. Yes. And comics are so specific, so special that you, it's like every, every reader thinks the comic has been made for them. Yeah. There's a kind of one to one relationship with the reader. Like, and you probably experienced that yourself. Like when you read an issue of whatever is your favorite comic, you feel it like it was, for you. And that's what I like to establish, but it's harder to establish when you have actors like Kickstarter or a distributor or anything, which is why it's so important. And it's such a big part of my ecosystem to go to shows. I still do 12 to 15 shows a year because this is where the real audience is. And they come to shows because they're early adopters. They come to discover stuff like the stuff that we put out. 
So it's, it's very important because you have an immediate reaction. It's like a focus group in real time. If no one takes a look at your cover, you know, it's not the right cover. <laughs> if no one wants to flip through your book, you have a problem. And you can identify immediately what works and what does not. And, and in different parts of the country, which is even better. And you were just up in Canada. And before we started recording, we were talking about your experience up there where yeah. it, it is really, as you just said, first adapters, that whole con experience is really, truly a first adapter and mm -hmm. you get an yeah. instant feedback from people. Now I completely Absolutely. forgot what we were talking about that let us like, let's start recording right now. <laughs> but um, you were saying um, you feel that it's good to go up there because of the networking. And that goes back you know, as building your fan base, my question, mm -hmm. and the best way, you know, that's the great thing about comics is that conventions is that there is yes. no, it's relationships. Law. Yeah. You're like a lot, a lot of our industry relies on relationships, relationships between the editor and the talent relationship between the talent and the audience relationship between the publisher and the audience and all, all this can sing Kumbaya together. It's like, it's, it's very important. I think that one of the reasons, and it's, and it's really funny because it feels like there's a new publisher that is popping every week <laughs> right now in the States, mm -hmm. uh, which in a way is very good news, but in a way, not so much good news because that means that the pie is already small and it gets smaller for everybody every time a new actor comes to play with us. Um, but I think the industry has morphed and regenerated itself so many times that there's kind of a natural selection, but also there's kind of like a morphing uh, type of situation where you see players that are going in one direction, they're trying stuff. I'm glad that we have so many different publishers and different actors on our market because so much vitality, so much creativity. The people who say, oh, it was bad before, they are so wrong. So much talent out there. There's so much content. Now, the problem is curation because they, there used to be a time when, when only bad books would tank. Now, good books tank because yeah. there's so many good books out there. So, um, and then it's a fight about marketing, about getting uh, exposure, being known. Um, and, and of course it's challenging for, for me, it's challenging because I'm not Donny Cates, you know, I'm not Todd McFarlane. I don't have that kind of prestige, but the little that I do, I do it my way. And, uh, and you can't just compare your story to someone else's story. It's just two different things. So, um, I think early on, I, I accepted the fact that things were going to be complicated and a little harder for myself. Um, and, and that's fine. That's, and it's that's, turning that's out right. to be true. <laughs> it is true. It is extremely challenging. Yeah, it is challenging. Um, I was talking to Yannick Paquette yesterday and he said he was looking at my table and like all the books and all the variants and all the things. And he said to me this thing that, that was, I found absolutely funny. He said like, I don't know how you do this. It seems like, how many lives do you have? It seems you always come back from the dead. 
And and it <laughs> and it's like, oh, I said thank you. It's just because I don't give up. I love comics. I love comics. It's I, I can't even tell you how much I love comics. Like uh recently I was talking to to my friend and former colleague Rob Levin. And and Rob said, um, he said to me, uh, you're crazy because you will you will be the last one there because you love comics so much. And I said, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll 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 die on stage. I'll die writing or I'll die drawing or I'll die editing or whatever I'm doing. But uh look, I moved to America in 2015 um to be serious about American comics because it's my first love. And um there's no way back. I came with nothing. I I started from scratch and I'm just climbing back up every time. And when I have a failure, I recapture and then I climb back up again. That's how it is. You know, you feel because of your passion, you're going to be there for the long term that that having that element as the long term, the long tail is that when people will catch up to you because you're willing to keep keep at it for the length that because as you said good books can tank nowadays because they just don't mm-hmm. find their audience and what if they were out there for another six months and they found their audience there that you're just your dedication passion determination will at least take care of that factor of that you'll be able to find these you know that you can be out there long enough for eyeballs to finally catch up with you. I think so. Um, look, Will Eisner had a very long career. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of failures. He had a lot of successes. He kept doing it. That's a model here. You can't give up. And if it's what you want to do, there's no way out. It must have been the thing you wanted to do because he kept coming back. Exactly. He kept coming back. Absolutely. And how many, how many publishers has Will Eisner buried? Like not himself, but like survived. Yeah. Um, uh, the spirit has been published by like 10 different companies. And I'm not mentioning all these other graphic novels that have performed well. Some have performed well. Some have performed. But we're discovered well. later, or, or <laughs> found or, or, their time later. The, yeah. Or was just not this, the, the right time, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'll make a, a musical analogy. Uh, if, if back in the day when artists would release a single, sometimes the single would not be picked up by the radio. And it would take months or years to catch up with the audience, to to click. And uh, and that was it. And it's not because you had a failure with one single that you would stop making music. You would stop performing. You would stop even re- really releasing this single like six years or a hundred years later, whatever. Um, this is how it works. You have to find the moment and you have to keep hoping to find the moment where your aspirations click with the audience. It might not be for everything. It might be for one product. 
and you would be very lucky to already have one. Now, here's a very interesting thing. When I go to shows, 99% of the people don't know who I am. Even the promoters sometimes don't know who I am. And I've been around for 26 years. That's okay. I have a very, I have a very unusual first name, a very hard to pronounce last name. Um, and, and I'm hiding behind a company called Fair Square Comics that no one has ever heard of before two years ago. Um, but that said, when they hear Spider-Man Noir, it starts a conversation. Uh-huh. And then I can tell them, all right, so you like that. Let's talk about everything else. And they listen. And it's the only way that you, is, you can like create the relationship with the audience is to find something that will have them interested in what you're doing. I think the, and it's even, I mean, I'm, as you know, I'm also drawing, but I'm mostly known as a writer and an editor. Um, and when you're a writer, people cannot react immediately to what you're doing. They have to trust you when you pitch something. And, um, and so they, they're not buying your book. They're buying you. They're buying your personality, your passion, your, the way you're uh, carrying yourself. And, um, and that's, that's what I had to learn. I, I was a shy kid. I was very shy. And, but I had to grow up. I had to get it together and, and go out there and fight for what I believe in. And what I believe in is those comics that I create or that my friends create and I publish through Facebook Comics. This is what I decided to do. And you, you can't half-ass it. You, you have to do it a thousand percent. Yeah, you don't want to wake up in the middle of the night going, oh, could I have done more? You know, I do wake up in the middle of the night and say, could I have done, I could have done more, (laughs) but then I guess because I'm crazy. (laughs) I mean, just, you know, I realized like in Hollywood with pitching uh, for animation is like, I can't be that shy person. I can't worry about flubbing a word here. Just keep going through it. You have to take on a different personality. You just have to go, Mm -hmm. you know what? Stop, get over yourself. You know, because what's more important, what the passion or not pursuing the passion. Exactly. And there's something that, that takes me back to what you were saying about and your question about um, playing the long-term game. I am playing the long-term game. Um, there's something that I put in the back of my mind that, that I'm not taking care of right now is media. Like, I'm focused on publishing. Like, if someone comes up and says, hey, I want to do a movie or a TV show or whatever animation about one of your IPs. I'll be glad to have that conversation, but this is not an obsession or a priority. My priority is to make damn good comics, put them out and have people read it, put it in the hands of actual readers. And, um, that's also something that differentiates us from other smaller companies that 
are on the market right now. Some are very media focused. They're doing comics because it's a, it's a gate to a bigger uh, okay. pool. That's not our case. We want to publish comics first. And if those comics happen to have a second life somewhere else and attract people from other medium, we'll welcome them with open arms, but the comics are the focus and number one focus. I think that's a good attitude because one thing I learned is that it's always easier to have them want to ask you out instead of going into a room and pitching and trying to convince them they're going to exactly. like this. Yeah, the someone, extra work, someone, there's a lot of extra work to convince absolutely. them to, to like me. When they someone like very you dear already. to me, <laughs> someone very dear to me, who I consider not just a friend, but a mentor, Stefan Frank, uh, said to me, you have to put it out there. And if they want to uh, talk to you, they'll find you. Yes. And it's the same thing. And it's the same advice that I give to young creators. Like when they come and they say, like, how do you break into comics? And I tell them, do your own thing. And someone will find you if they like you, if they like it. And if they like you, they will find you. So it's, it's a very different approach than 20, 30 years ago where you had to, you had to go through the big publishers in order to be seen. You had to pitch and, and, and get higher. This is very different right now. There are so many tools at our disposal to, to shine. Well, even for us, this conversation talking about, you know, how you can't make any money in comics, but nowadays with all the options, that's not have, true. Well, I mean, that is not true. <laughs> You can make money in comics. The problem is not making money in comics. The problem is when you're a small company like Fish Square Comics is, we have to reinvest every penny into the next wave of books. So we don't desertize. We don't keep the money because we put 100% in the books and, that, and we create a cycle. So we need to develop the catalog up to the point where there's some a passive income coming. It's just that we're in the launch phase. Again, just four graphic novels, five in a month. It's just not enough. Like when you have 30 graphic novels on stands, of course you will have income coming all the time. And you're just going to deal with that. The key is catalog. Catalog is the key, the key of everything. Why do big companies can't afford to, um, to, to do stuff, to, to take chances on stuff? Because they have the catalog. Their back catalog is always there. They keep selling it, selling it. They keep them in print. They keep nurturing them. They keep having them discovered by a new generation of readers. When you're a small company and you can only rely on a few books, you cannot do that just yet. I have to build my catalog first. And it's very important. That's why it takes time. You have to be patient and you're not making money until you do. Again, well, long-term, <coughs> long-term game. <laughs> well, I was going to say, by like, the end of 2023, we will have 12 graphic novels. That will start looking like something. Yeah. It's going to be, in a, you know, yeah. When you're at a convention setting up, it's, People are going to have to stop and take notice with that much material there because and it and it will and it will be a problem. And I already see the problem. It's like 
<laughs> because right now, even with like what I do as an artist, which is one side of the table, like let's say a six to eight feet table, uh-huh. and what I do as a publisher, just with the four graphic novels and the variant covers of Mutiny, people are overwhelmed. What are you going to choose? There's <laughs> <It's> too much. <laughs> Some people show up with only one product or two products. Now I show up with like six, eight, ten. It's just a lot, a <laughs> lot to take in. So, and it's not going to get better. There's going to be more products and more variant covers and more everything. So we're going to have to change the way we're doing conventions, which will cost more money, which will be another dimension. But at the same time, it also brings another audience and we have to be smart about it. <laughs> so one thing I've had you on for pretty much an hour, let's talk about mutiny number two. So yes, as I don't know, I probably, you corrected me a number of times before we started, there's mutiny zero, which was kickstarted mutiny one, yes. which came out in November, November 24th. Yes. Yeah. It was sold out the first day Yeah, at the distributive level. So that came out. You're reprinting that. I heard that. Yes, you guys, absolutely. Be- yes. So. We're reprinting it. Uh, it will be, it will probably be a short run, like 500 copies. Um, but there's the men. So we're reprinting it. All four covers or? No, we're reprinting a new cover, which will be a variant, a black, white, and red variant of the Derek Herbertson cover of the boys. Okay. Awesome. So what do you have in store for us in number two that is in the printers right now? Mm-hmm. When, I know you're, there's who knows what the supply line crap that we're all dealing with. So that, that is <laughs> very, I'm glad you brought it up because the supply chain has been making my life really complicated. Um, our traditional printer in the United States couldn't handle, um, they were late. Like, for example, they, uh, for the book that we solicited for, for a release in, in January, which was One Hit Wonder, um, I sent the book to the printer early December, and the book was late by a month. It came out mid-February, not because of us, because there was no paper. And it was hard to find. And, and even the book, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Like, Diamond has started shipping it to retailers. I don't even know what it looks like because our, 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 um, our box has been lost by UPS. Oh, great. <laughs> so not only you have issues with the printing and you have issues with the shipping, you have issues all across the line. And this is really complicated. So, uh, for mutiny, we, uh, the print, our regular printer couldn't handle the production. So we had to start finding a new printer and we found this printer in Mexico. We're going to print in Mexico, uh, which will be a first. So I fingers crossed, I hope it will be good. Um, but even there, like printers right now, they don't have the capacity to, because the demand is just like going through the roof. Yeah. Um, so between the demand, the paper shortage, the, the distribution, uh, not the, distribution, the shipping issues or transportation issues, it's just terrible. Like, how, how, do, how, how do you survive as a small publisher? Mm-hmm. Because, of course, your business plan is made um, counting on, on, on revenue within month with uh, sharp fixed dates, you know? 
but if the dates are like constantly moving, how do you do it? And, and it's and that's one of, also one of the reasons why we're struggling because when products come out late, uh, retailers are not happy. We are not happy, but in but we're depending on so many factors. Again, like printing, shipping. Um, so uh, right now, mutinies at the printer. Officially, it's supposed to come out. It was supposed to come out March 9th. So it's already late, but we warned Diamond. Everybody is, everybody knows. Yeah. Um, and now it's going to be released normally March 23rd. Um, we have five covers. We have four covers plus an incentive cover. Um, we have the, the main cover is from Aletha Martinez. It's a uh, uh, Kill Bill. Homage covers all yellow. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Um, thank you. Uh, we have a Joyce Chin cover, who's also interviewed in the magazine with her husband, Arthur Adams, who also has a uh, cover. It's the incentive cover, the Arthur Adams cover. Um, so it's only available to retailers that order one in 10. That means they, if they order 10, they get one. Uh-huh. Um and uh, we have a Mori Tat cover, which is uh, a Moe abuse homage, because we're doing a we're doing a uh, a feature uh, on Mobius for the tenth anniversary of his passing. Which I'm very surprised that I've seen nothing about it so far. Um, I don't know. Maybe I have a special connection because of where I come from. But Mobius was a giant. It, it was it, it was so influential um, in comics, and so it felt natural for us to to remember him, to remember his work and what he did. So we have this long feature um, in the magazine about it, and Moritat drew a cover that is a Mobius homage. Uh, that is actually the second most ordered cover of Mutant Number Two, behind the Alita one. Was- Alita's cover. Is is the uh, is the most ordered cover? It's it's actually it has been ordered more than the Derek Robertson the boys cover. <laughs> oh, it's a great cover, and I was waffling between the two that you just talked about. Was like, exactly. I, I and go then with we the have, <laughs> and then we have a cover by a newcomer. Her name is Lisa, and she's very important uh, because one, she has a story in uh, in mutiny called Shakespeare's Vampires. Um, <laughs> But also because we signed her for that book, Shakespeare's Vampires is a Fair Square Comics YA title that will come out in 2023. Um, and, um, and, and so people will discover this, this story that is basically a Romeo and Juliet vampire style comic. Um, and uh, so that's for the covers. Now, for the rest of the magazine, we have content all across the board we have a zombie story we have a a um an emotional uh love story between two robots um (laughs) that is drawn by megan huang and written by zach chapman we have um what do we have um we have um we have an interview with Ram V. 
We have another interview with Alita. We have one with, um, as I mentioned, Joyce and Arthur. Um, we have, uh, oh my God, we have this article in Electra. We have one Bad, bad Girls. We, um, I don't know. It's just so many things. So it sounds just, so jam-packed. It's, uh, it, it is jam-packed. It's like a hundred pages. We have, we're, we're welcoming a new, uh, a new uh, writer. His name is Umberto. And uh, he's doing, he's going to handle the manga and anime uh, topics. Uh, but it, it's it, like, we're broadening what we've been doing for issue zero and one. We're broadening like by including more genres, more, more topics, more diversity, more everything. It's just like really broadening the concept of mutiny, which is that place where every genre, every comic, every creator has a place. Well, the great thing is not that if you don't like one story, it's like, here's an opportunity to try it out. You know, you hear about whatever, I don't know, noir, and you're like, I'm not really a fan of oh, that. Oh, we have but, a noir story, like, yeah, excellent. And it's a noir story. We have actually a sequel. We have a short story from Greg Burnham and Quinn McGowan uh, with a character named Housley. Housley. Yep is a character that was in Noir's The New Black. And so we have a new tale with the same character exclusively published in Mutant. It's the cop from uh, Arkansas, it's right? The cop. Exactly, the cop from Arkansas, yes. Okay, that was... Uh, yeah, There's a new six-page story about him oh, cool. in Mutant number two. So, sounds like it's going to be worth your $15, folks. So oh, yeah. Go out and get it, order it, it's there. Um, is there... And it was, honestly, it was the hardest project <laughs> Ever for me, <laughs> really. Is it because it was of the, really hard? The the supply line issues, or is it just not all just that, that? It was also like you know everyone's busy getting the interviews on time was a challenge. Um, sourcing the comics, the original comics, wasn't also an issue because like you had some creators that say yes, and then they say no, and then some others come, some others go. You have to have a good mix. Some needs to be compatible with all. We also have, and I should have started with that. Actually, I want to apologize to the ladies. Uh, we have a, a overall theme for issue two, <laughs> which is released for international women's month. So out of these five covers, three of them uh, are by female artists and five of them have a female lead on the cover. Um, and all the articles showcase female characters. Um, so we, we tried to do justice to, uh, uh, the fairer sex. Well, I can't wait to see it. Um, like I say, just reading through it, prepping for this interview, it's just a great package. It's a great magazine. So you have Thank my you. support. Uh, I think anybody listening. And now I have to work on issue three and I'm like, I'm <laughs> toasted. I was going to say my last question to you, what do you have planned for the next issue? Um, I can't tell you what I have planned for the next issue because I don't know yet. Uh, there are leads, um, no future, which is one of Yours. my stories. It's going yep. to be back. I mean, we, we took a hiatus for issue two because I simply didn't have the time to write. Um, but 
I actually wrote it in the plane yesterday when I came back from Vancouver. So uh, the artist is going to have the the pages to to draw starting tomorrow. Um, once I clean it up, and um, and I already have one cover that will be a Miss Mutiny cover from Marcus Williams. So that is already that that I can guarantee is going to be there because I already have it. Nice. It's paid for. It, I have it. Uh, for the rest, uh, I'm going to take time to uh, to take a look at what's on the market and what I want to do. And and also, like in the meantime, I, I won't really get bored or anything because I have Ladybird, which is my newest graphic novel that comes out late April um, to, send to, the, to finish and send to the printer. So right now, my priority is Ladybird. Um, then Jaeger, as I mentioned, the Ibrahim Mustafa book, and then, uh, mutiny number three. Nice. So sounds like you still got a bunch of 12 to 15 hour days ahead of you, but. Oh yeah. And then, and, and I'm not even mentioning like planning the Kickstarter that will be in April. Um, it will be a, a graphic anthology of funk music called weekend funk. Mm. Um, and uh, and also we we acquired a bunch of uh, of books from French publishers that are going to be published in September, October, and February of next year. Um, so it's it's coming. It's it, it's 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 brewing. It's moving. It's growing. Like, <laughs> there, there's a lot of things going going on at Fair Square Comics. Nice. Well, it's great. You know. Everybody needs to check this out. And thank you for Brees for coming on. Thank you very much. And yes. uh, don't work too hard. Read some comics. <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try to, to, to outlive <laughs> yes, my own expectations. Yes. <laughs> Have a good day. And thank I you will very talk, much. Be talking to you later. Bye-bye. See you.